You know, the thing about math, simple math, is it's true whether you know it or not, and it's true whether you believe it or not. Uh, it, it goes back to the fact that nobody invented mathematics. We don't go back in time and say, this person invented addition or subtraction or multiplication. Mathematics wasn't something that we invented, it's something that we discovered because God basically hardwired it into our universe. And it's interesting to me how that certain key concepts of life are almost mathematical in nature. Uh, I look at a world today that's very smart. We have more information than we've ever had. In fact, sometimes it's like information overload. And yet it's almost as if we're missing some basic, some basic things. And so that's what this series is all about. If you were here for the first week, you heard Jonathan talk to you about addition. Because the first fact that we looked at is God adds. Every time you see a plus sign, it should make you think about the fact that anytime you have an interaction with God on his terms, you'll always walk away with more than you came with. It is the very nature of God to add. We use a theological term uh, to describe that. That term is grace. By the way, if you've ever wondered what the distinction between grace and mercy is, by the way, those are not synonyms. Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. Mercy is God not giving us what we do deserve. So if you want to think about something this afternoon before the game, if you want something to, to really mull over, ask yourself which one is more important to you, grace or mercy. And I assure you, you'll discover that both of them are hugely important. Grace, God giving us what we don't deserve. And so every time you see a plus sign, remember that. Anytime you have an interaction with God on his terms, you'll never leave with red ink because it is the nature of God to give. He cannot help himself. God is a giver. And I don't think I'm sacrilegious, and I wouldn't be, especially any time, especially as we get closer to what we call Holy Week, next week being Palm Sunday and the Friday after that being Good Friday and then Easter. I'm not being sacrilegious when I tell you that Jesus died on a plus sign. Of all the ways that Jesus could have died for the world in order to show his love, I believe God had his son die for us on a plus sign as if to say, by his outstretched arms, I always add. It is God's nature to add. In week two, though, we went to a very different place. And I shared with you that it probably wasn't my favorite sermon to deliver, but we talked about how that Satan subtracts. We have a sense that something's being taken away from us in our world. We call that evil. But a lot of people, although they might believe in a personal God, they're reluctant to believe in a personal Satan. It's almost as if, you know, uh, my intellectualism, my education allows me to believe in a deity, a higher power, so therefore a benevolent uh, power in heaven, I can, I'm okay with that. But the idea of there being a real personal devil, you know, in this enlightened age, which by the way, I'm not so sure is all that enlightened, but in our enlightened age, it's like, I'm not really sure I believe in that. But as we saw in this message, it's not that the personage of Satan comes out of the concept of evil. The concept of evil came out of the personage of Satan. The reason why I believed it was so important for us to understand that there is a personal devil, a personal Satan, who is behind the evil in the world who subtracts, is if we don't know about him, when evil happens in the world, we'll tend to do two wrong things. We'll either blame each other or we'll blame God. I've had media types poke you know, microphones in my face and television cameras in my face and ask me this question right after a, a, a global tragedy or a natural disaster or a terrorist attack. People will look at me and say, where is God? Now, isn't that strange? It just goes to show that most people don't know these two fundamental facts that God adds and Satan subtracts. It's just after something's been taken away, someone says, where is God? I'm saying, wait a minute, you don't understand. God acts. God adds. We have 
uh, Satan who subtracts. Last week was my favorite talk in the series, and that was on multiplication. And it had to do with the fact that anytime you put anything in God's hands, he multiplies. Somebody could say, well, Mark, what's the distinction between God adding and God multiplying? Well, God adding, God adds to all human beings. God adds to all of his children. Well, multiplication is something different. See, multiplication is when you and I are willing to take something that we perceive to be in our ownership, and we take it out of our hands, and we turn it over to God. Remember, we said last week, and we used the illustration of pins. I said, if you put two pins in my hand, and no one adds any pins, you can come back 10 minutes later or five years later, and all I'm going to have is two pins, because I can't create. I can't make more pins. And I also share with you that that's what's behind most of our selfishness is our interaction with other people. When we lose something from our possession and it goes into someone else's position, possession, we feel the sense of loss or deficit. But it never happens that way with God because anytime you put anything into God's hands, you put it into the hands of someone who can create. And as we, thought, we saw last week, he isn't only able to multiply quantity as he did with the boy's sack lunch to feed 20,000 people. But he can multiply quality. He can change the essence from one thing to another. He can turn water into wine. Now talk to us about how he can change the essence of our relationships, our marriages, relationships with our kids, and our very lives itself. I love that talk. So we've talked about addition, subtraction, and multiplication. And it could be that you've been wondering, Mark, what exactly are you going to talk about when we get to division? Well, could I just tell you something as we get started here today? Our talk today is going to be very practical. In fact, it's the most practical talk I can ever remember giving. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. Suppose you're here today and you say, Mark, I'm a non-theist. And first of all, could I tell you thank you? I mean, you honor us by being here today, and I appreciate so much you letting us have a seat at your table. And I hope you feel as welcome as you truly are. You can say, Mark, I don't believe a thing you say. Uh, I'm, I'm an atheist uh, or non-theist. Um, or it could be that you would say, I consider myself agnostic. I'm not, I don't really know if there's a God or not. Here's the weird thing about today's talk. You could be an agnostic, and if you would implement what we're going to talk about, it would enhance your life. It would make your life better. It's just that practical. But by the same token, you could be a Christ follower who prays every day, who loves God very much. But if you don't implement what we're going to talk about, it's going to harm your life. It's almost as if I said to you, I'm going to talk to you about gravity today. <laughs> and whether you and I are, are the closest God follower or we're someone way away from God, if we jump out of a 30-story building, the same thing's going to happen. It's just practical. And so it is with what we're going to talk about today in regard to division. Because what we're going to discover is God has given us division, the very process of division, in order to make life functional, to organize life, to help us manage life. It's interesting to me that of all the mathematic functions mentioned in the Bible, that the very first one mentioned is division. And it's mentioned very early. In fact, in the fourth verse of the Bible, God mentions division for the first time. 16 verses before he mentions multiplication, he talks about division. And guys, this is more than you want to know, but when you study to be a pastor or a minister um, or a theologian of any kind, you have to take a course called hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is the science of interpretation, or the science of interpreting scripture. And so you have to learn all the different hermeneutics. One of the hermeneutics is the law of first mention. And basically it says this. Whenever you find something mentioned for the first time in the Bible, it tends to follow throughout scripture as far as the principle and the characteristics of it. So the very first time we look at division in the Bible, 
It works for us. The hermeneutic works because the Bible shows us what division is for. You ready? Here we go. God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. Now, that's all we know. That's our whole experience. And so when we read that, it's like, well, yeah, there's day and there's night. But not before this. It was at this moment that God divided the light from the darkness and created what we know of as a day. Why is that, why is that important? Well, I'm glad he divided the light from the darkness because had he not, I mean, what, what if the light and the darkness had happened intermittently? What if, what if there was light one second and darkness the next second? Have you ever tried to work with flashing light? Have you tried to sleep with flashing light? I mean, so you understand that from the very beginning, God gave us light so that we could prosecute the activities we do in daylight, and he gave us night so that we could sleep. So from the beginning of time, when it comes to division, the whole process was ordered in order that life could be functional, so that we could manage life, organize life, and that it would be, it would be, be something that would work for us. In, in simple terms, division takes the lump sums of life and makes them relevant and, ma and manageable. Um, when, I was, when I knew I was going to talk to you about division, there were a couple of expressions in the back of my head buzzing around. I don't know if I picked them up uh, from economics when I was in school or if I just read a book or something on economics. But I was thinking about the terms division of labor and division of work. And if you have a management background, business background, chances are you had to study these when you were in college. But basically, division of labor comes down to this. In, in the early days of the Industrial Revolution, we were kind of archaic in, in our approaches to training workers to work in factories. And so what, what happened back before the division of labor, there was this idea that if you want to train someone to manufacture a specific product, then you have to basically have them go through this, this skill training. And when they came out, they were codified or they were, they were considered ready to go. The only problem was it was kind of a one-size-fits-all thing. And smart men and women, when they looked at manufacturing in America, they said, we can't keep going this way. We have to have a division of labor. We have to find a way to give people who are going to do specific tasks the specific training needed to do that. In other words, we have to break down a lump sum of factory workers, and we have to train them specifically in order to make them more functional. Division of work is a simpler term. It just means taking a huge job and breaking it down into a series of small jobs. It's taking a lump sum of work and organizing it and making it smaller jobs. Now, here's the thing. This is where it gets personal with you and me. In our life, we're going to have a total of time. We don't know what that total adds up to, but we're going to have an amount of time in life. And you can just let, let X represent that. X can just be, in this case, the amount of time I'm going to live. Maybe it's 100 years, maybe it's 80 years, maybe it's 40 years. We have X amount of time. We have a lump sum of time. And we're going to have, even though we may never see it at one time, but we're going to have a total of money. We're going to have a lump sum of money that basically, if you added up all the money that we're going to have in a lifetime, you could let an X represent that. Um, you're, in your lifetime, you're going to have a certain amount of energy. And by that energy, I'm talking about the capability to get tasks accomplished uh, in a meaningful way. And that energy will, 
will grow and then, then it, will, it will wane. But in your lifetime, you're going to have a certain amount of energy to get tasks done. And this is one that we don't talk about a lot, but we need to talk about in the 21st century. You only have so much attention to give. You know, in this information age, it's like, you know, we have something bombarding us all the time for attention. But you only have so much attention during the lifespan that you have to give to things. Here is the thing. Although our time, our money, our focus, and our attention, although they may all add up to totals, you and I cannot treat those precious commodities like lump sums. Let me give you a, a practical example of that. Have you ever met anybody who just treated money like it was in this bottomless bag? And it's like they just sort of carry this mental bag around with them that has their money in it, and if something comes up, they just buy it as though they're just working with a lump sum. They don't have any borders drip, drawn around any of their money. They don't have any of it set aside for specific purposes. It's like, I got a paycheck, I got money. I want to go to a concert. Oh, I buy tickets. I want these pair of shoes. I'll buy this pair of shoes. Uh, you know, I want a bigger apartment. Okay, I'll just end the lease on this apartment and get in. Oh, look, there's a new iPhone now. You see, that's what I'm trying to say to us. God has given us divisions so that we won't treat our precious resources like they're lump sums. I know, I know people that treat time that way. They just sort of live their life like they're pulling time out of a bag. And it's like, they're just, you know, it's like, wow, you know, I'm just doing what I want to do. Okay, I'll throw four years at that. You know, you ever meet anybody? And, and I see this a lot of times, and, and this can be, you know, we have, a, we have a lot of young adults in our audience here today. Guys, I want to just tell you something. You know, those 18 to 22 years, those are really precious years. That's a great time to go to college. I mean, don't, you don't go to keggers. I mean, it's, it's, it's not just saying, well, I'm here to have a good time. And by the way, if you're borrowing money to go to college, go to class. <laughs> and, and, but have you ever met anybody that's like just treating time that way? It's like, well, I'll throw time at this or I'll throw, throw time at that. And, and have you ever met anybody like this? They, they get to be 60 years old and they don't know how they got there. They don't know why they're there. They don't know what they, what they did to get there. It's like they've just burned through years because they didn't, they never drew, they never decided how to organize those years. They never decided how to manage those years. It was like this bottomless bag. I've got more time. I've got more money. I've got more attention. I've got more focus. This whole message is so that you and I will not treat precious commodities that have limited, limited amounts as though they're lump sums. See, here's the thing. Anytime we treat money or time like they're, like they're in a bottomless bag, two bad things are going to happen. The first one is we're going to waste, and the second one is we'll run out and we won't see it coming. Man, Jesus coached us up with a great story about this. There was a rich farmer father who had two adult sons at home, and the younger son wanted to run away. And I don't know about you. I think we all want to run away sometimes, right? at least for half hour. But this kid really wanted to run away. And he said to his dad a really awful thing. He said, I don't want to wait till you die to get my inheritance. I want it before you die. You know, I don't want to wait till I'm old to spend your money. So give it to me now. And so the father did. He gave a third of his, a third of his wealth to his son. And the kid, you know, back, back in those days, money wasn't measured quite like it is today. Currency wasn't as big. People were much more concerned about their land, their possessions, their cattle, their holdings. So basically what this kid did was in a quick sale, he liquidated a third of what it had taken his father a lifetime to accumulate. 
So no telling how much money he lost in that process, but he took the cash that he had left. And the Bible says, according to Jesus, a few days later, he packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there, look at this. Number one, he wasted his money and while living, about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land. So it's exactly what we said a moment ago. Anytime we treat precious resources like they're in a bottomless bag and a lump sum, we'll waste and then we'll run out and we won't see it coming. And that can happen with money can happen with life. Years ago, we were at our old location, this is probably 25 years ago, I remember there was a, a family, a couple, not really not a family, just a, a, a couple, probably in their early 60s, and I, they were related to a family in our church, and so I had tried to interest this couple in God, and talk to them about God, and try to encourage them to, to attend our church. And they came once or twice, but they really weren't serious about it. But one day I got a phone call uh, from this couple, and they asked if I would drop everything and come over to their house. And when I heard that phone call, I thought, well, well maybe they're interested in God. And so I was kind of excited about driving over there. But guys, when I got there between you and me, they were furious. And they unloaded on me. It was pretty quick for me to ascertain that they weren't mad at me specifically. They were mad at God, <laughs> I guess. They didn't have his number. <laughs> they had my number. <laughs> so I was there, and I listened to them unload on God. You know what the deal was? This couple had worked hard. They told me in no uncertain terms that they had lived in the same small house that they'd been in for 30 years. They had not wasted their money. They had put their money aside. They had worked extra shifts because their dream in life was to retire early, buy one of these big motorhomes, RVs, and travel. The only problem was... They had just come back that morning from the doctor's office where the doctor had told the woman that she was terminal. And she was furious with me. How could God do this to me? No, God didn't do that to her. She treated time like it was in a bottomless bag. And she wasted it. And she ran out and she didn't see it coming. That's what, that's what this message is about today. It's a wake-up call for us to take a look at our resources and analyze them and see if we're using our money or the, the seasons of life. Because how many of us, we've, you know, we weren't really careful. We were using time as though there was no end to it. And we had a season of life, life that passed. I mean, our time for education, we frittered away. And now we'd like to go back to college. But we can't go back to college because our responsibilities won't let us go back to college. Or it could be that... That you, know, you would like to go back and really apply yourself, but your peak earning years are past. Or it could be that, you know, we, it could be a health thing. We can treat health like it's in a bottomless bag, and it's not. We won't always be in the best of health. Well, let's get solution-oriented for the next few moments. I mean, how would we truly implement God's gift of division to us? If we were going to, if we were going to manage the assets and the resources that God has given to us, and we were going to do it in a skillful way, what is it that we would need to know? I want to take you to an interesting verse in the Bible because at first it isn't going to feel like it's talking to us, but I think when we, when we read the whole verse, it'll start making sense to us, okay? What's the first thing that we need to know if we want to organize our life to get the best and get the most out of the resources that God has trusted us with? Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 8. When the Most High, that's God, when God gave the nations their inheritance, when he divided all mankind, he set up boundaries. Now, some people read that, and they, they, they take that to mean that God said to a people group, you can't leave this land. But that's not what God was saying. 
See, basically, God was taking all the people groups that he had created, and he gave them all land groups, and he gave them boundaries. Not boundaries to fence them in, but boundaries to identify the space. Remember that. To identify the space and to protect. In our individualistic culture in the 21st century America, we can think that rules and boundaries are meant to harm us, when in reality, that's not the case. Boundaries are meant to identify space and to protect us. When I was in college, I slept through too many psychology courses. But I do remember one particular lecture. A professor was telling us about how the educators, uh, well, at least um, psychologists in the more progressive phase of education in the 20th century, hit upon the thought that perhaps the fences around playgrounds were actually inhibiting the tender psyches of young children. So maybe what we need to do was to take down those awful fences at the, you know, at the exterior or at the, at the perimeter of the playgrounds because, after all, the kids could be seeing the fences and it could be harming them. I remember my professor telling us that what, what they discovered when they, tried this, when they tried this test was that when they took the fences down from the playgrounds, the kids tended to huddle together in the middle of the playground. They were unwilling to go to the outer perimeters of the playground. They huddled in the middle. When the fences came back up, the kids went out and explored the complete playground all the way to the edge. That's the nature of borders. We think that borders inhibit us, when in reality, borders are what makes us comfortable. Listen, guys, I, it's been many, many years since I did this, but in four churches I served in student ministry as well as my other responsibilities. And the one thing that I discovered, a lot of times, teenagers will tell their parents they don't want boundaries, but if you want to find a really, really angry teenager, you just show me a teenager who's not given any boundaries because she will know that she isn't loved. He will know that he isn't loved. Boundaries identify space, and they give us a sense of protection. Now, here's the thing. I've said all that to say this. When it comes to those precious resources that we've been given, time, money, focus, attention, health, if we're going to manage those resources in a way that makes life successful, we're going to have to put boundaries in. Because when division works, there are boundaries. Now, that all, you can say, Mark, that's all a little existential for me. Okay, let me get real practical. If you'll think about it, you and I are comfortable with three examples of division in which we employ boundaries. Um, one of those would be a budget. You know, when you think about a budget, what, what you have is division. You have division with a budget. You have taken your weekly, monthly, annual income, and you have divided it. And the way you've divided it is that, you know, it's like you've taken a marker or a crime scene tape and you've put boundaries around a particular part of your budget. Like in the Hoover household, and honestly, I shared this with you last week, we believe the first tenth belongs to God. That's God's money. It isn't the Hoover's money. It's God's money. So we put a boundary line around that. And it's marked off. It's set aside. There's a boundary there to identify it and to protect it. So if I get it, if there's a sale at Dillard's, or even more importantly, if there's a sale at Bass Pro Shop, <laughs> nothing's going to step across that boundary and get God's money. Now, another thing that's really important for all of us to have boundaries around in budgets is if you're living in a house or an apartment, is your rent payment or your mortgage payment. Mortgage, mortgage companies really frown on you not paying your mortgage payment. 
So it's really important to put a boundary around that. And then here's one that's really important. That's food, food expenses. You've got to put a boundary around that. Protect that. You've got to put a boundary around your utilities or else they'll turn your electricity off. You see what I'm saying? A budget is a series of boundaries that we put around key financial amounts dedicated to a particular usage. Now, if we get into impulse buying, it's, that's, we're like back into that sack reaching in. We don't, we don't know if we're pulling out a dollar. Is it a rent dollar? Is it a house payment dollar? We don't know. Are we pulling out a food dollar? We don't know. Are we pulling out a utility dollar? We don't know. We'll just see. The problem is too much month at the end of the money, right? And then that's when we pull out the plastic and we get into real trouble. That's what a budget is. It's drawing boundary lines. It's what a, number two, it's what a schedule is. All a schedule is is division. You're just dividing up your day. You're dividing up your waking day into chunks of time, and you've got a boundary around that time, and it's set, set apart for a particular task. You're not just pulling time out of a bag. You're saying, no, this time is set apart. Um, in my life, the biggest boundary in my week is around Wednesday. Wednesday is the day that I write the sermon. Now, I may have been working on it for a year, but I write it the Wednesday before. I disappear in my basement at my house. I have an office down there, and my staff knows that unless World War III breaks out, no one bothers me because there's a boundary around that day. And that's, that's what a schedule is. It's a division of a day with boundaries around chunks of time dedicated to a purpose. Now, here's one that a lot of y'all won't know about. You will have heard of it, but you've never had to worry about it. And that's a diet. Very important to me. I've lost 20,000 pounds during my lifetime. <laughs> but here's the thing. You know what I discover? If I'm, not, if I'm not organized, I'm just treating calories. I'm just treating food like it's in a bag, and I'm just pulling it out when I'm hungry. When I'm, when I'm really careful about it, I have an app on my phone where I track calories. And sometimes, you know, if I, I, I'll, I'll like go to a bakery and I'll see a muffin. I think, oh, I want that. And then I eat it and I find out how many calories they had. And I think, okay, I'm through eating for the day. <laughs> That's it. So you understand what I'm talking about now. We've got, we've got three practical examples of what we're discussing here. Drawing boundaries around key resources so that we don't waste them and run out without seeing it. We've talked about a budget. We've talked about a schedule. And we've talked about a diet. So boundaries are important because they make life functional. But for another reason as well, boundaries give us margin. Margin. See, this <laughs> margin is something our culture doesn't understand very well. Especially in an age, and how many of you are like me? You're on call 24 hours a day. And I don't mean just on call like, like, like someone could call you to do a task. It's like people expect you to be available for a text or an email or a message or a question. I mean, Mary Alice and I were on the beach in Mexico, and honestly, we were laughing at each other, although it wasn't funny. We were, we were there with our phones and our iPads answering questions about things going on here. Even though we were a long ways away, we weren't away. And I'm so glad Mary Alice is not in the service today because if she heard me start talking about margin, she'd be out there like, she never criticizes the sermon, but I could see her sitting out there right now going, I don't mean about money, but definitely about time. Okay, here's the thing. Here, let's talk about margin, and maybe we'll help each other. 
You need margin. Margin is the space between you and the edge. How many of us are just right there at the edge? Margin is that space between us and the edge that makes us comfortable with the unexpected. If you're right at the edge financially, you just say, Mark, you know, look, I'm paying all my bills. But, you know, to pay that last bill, you're reaching into the couch to see if you can find change that's lodged in there, okay? You say, I'm paying all my bills, but you're right there at the edge. You and I both know all it takes is one expected medical bill to throw you into disarray. See, margin is what keeps us from the edge and makes us comfortable with the unexpected. Well, it's important for us to have margin. Without boundaries, there's no margin. And without margin, we have stress. I'm going to give you a, a statement. In fact, this whole message revolves around this single statement. And I want to write it up here for you. And I want you to think about this. This whole message is about that one thing. It is saying no when I should to say yes when I must. See, if we, if, if, like, let's just say we treat money foolishly. And so consequently, you know, when, when, when things come along, we don't say no when we should. You know, you know I want to go to that concert, but I can't afford it. Should say no, but I say yes anyway. I, I want this new pair of shoes. Well, I should say no, but I want them. So I say yes anyway. You know, I, I, I want this new gun. I should say no, but I want it. So I say yes. And then the next thing you know, I'm applying for a mortgage, and I find out how much down payment I'm going to have. And I'm nowhere close to having the down payment I need because the problem is I didn't say no when I should. Now I can't say yes when I must. Or it can be time, and this is where it really gets to convict your pastor. You know, I'm the person that wants to say yes. I mean, I don't want to make this personal, but you guys realize 30 years ago when I came here, there were 350 people here. And today, it's not uncommon for us to have six to 7,000 people on a weekend. And my nature is to say yes to everything. Oh, sure, I can do that. Yeah, I can do that. Sure, no problem. I can get to that. And we were, I probably shouldn't tell this, but I was helping a church. I was there for five days, and it was on the back end of a trip. We'd already been on a trip, and I told them, oh, I'll take care of this church, helping this church on my way back and I was there five days and I was on the airplane exhausted because I was coming home and immediately I was going to jump into the weekend here and Morales looked at me and said, Mark, I am taking control of your schedule right now. You no longer have control of your speaking schedule. I'm taking control and I know how to say no. <laughs> what was Morales saying to me? You're not saying no when you should and you can't say yes when you must. How many of you Gals out there, guys, you're like me. You're type A. And here's, here's the scary part about it. When everybody calls at you to do something, the scary part is you can do it. You can find some way to do it. You'll stay up another extra hour, you, another extra night. You'll drink a bunch of Red Bull. You'll figure out a way to make it happen. And everybody pats you on the back and says, you are a legend. You're a rock star. But the problem is you're not saying no when you should. And then along comes your wife or your husband or your kids or your grandkids, and you can't say yes when you must. 
Margin is the space between you and the edge that lets you be comfortable with the unexpected. And you set boundaries in order to have margin. I'm going to ask you a question. When you think about the key assets of your life, whether it's your money, whether it's your time, whether it's your health, either emotional or physical, do you have boundaries? Do you put boundaries up? You say, Mary, if I put some boundaries up, there are going to be some unhappy people. They will survive. They will survive. See, here's the thing. God made you to have margin. If you think about the beginning of creation, think about what God did. God gave humankind a Sabbath. Now, for a lot of us, the Sabbath means the day that you go to church or the day you go to synagogue. Well, certainly God made us to have week, weekly worship, but the Sabbath was made for rest. In other words, the Sabbath was the day for all the machinery to shut down, for you to be able to rest, for you not to have to worry about coming up with a solution to a problem, for you to just be able to calm down for a little while and get some space and have some margin in life. The guys I want to preach from my heart are always preach from my heart, but I'm really preaching from my heart because I want to tell you what this overachiever type A hard-driven, all-excess person discovered. <laughs> you know, when God instituted the Sabbath, he not only instituted it for people, he also instituted it for the land. God said to the people, you give the land a Sabbath. They didn't understand all the science behind it, but God did. I mean, today we know about crop rotation and soil nutrients and all that kind of stuff, so it was brilliant what God told them. But God said, give the land a time of rest. And obviously the people were not inclined to do that because he said to themselves, you know what, if we, if, if we don't farm, we won't make as much money. And God had already told them, look, I'll, give, I'll take care. When you give the land its Sabbath, I'll bless your harvest the year before, and I'll really bless your harvest the year after. You won't lose anything. But no, they were like, no, no, no. We've got to farm. We've got to, you know, we, we can't give the land its Sabbath. In Leviticus 26, here's what God said. You think I'm talking about land, but I'm talking about us. In Leviticus 26, God said to the people, if you won't give the land its Sabbath, I'll take it away from you. And one way or the other, the land is going to get its Sabbath. And could I say it very lovingly and very knowingly to a lot of you sisters and brothers out there who are right up to the edge and you're pushing yourself to the edge to be everything to everybody and you're trying so hard to live the American dream and be the, the rock star where you work, and you're just pushing everything right to the edge, and you need a Sabbath in the worst way. You're exhausted, and you get upset when anybody mentions it to you. I know, because I did too. But as you've heard me tell the story so many times of what happened to me four years ago, in 48 hours, I shut down. After years of being large and in charge, and years being the adult in the room, and the guy who could just go nonstop, it was like within 48 hours, I just closed down. And it's almost as if God was saying, like he said in Leviticus 26, you know, Mark, you can either have a voluntary Sabbath or a mandatory Sabbath. One way or another, you're going to shut down. God gave us division so that we could look at our precious resources, our time, our money, our focus, our energy, our health, our peak earning years. God gave us Division, so that we could draw boundary lines around some of it and dedicate it to specific tasks in order that we might have margin, that there would be space between us and the edge and we would be comfortable with the unexpected. Well, I'm out of time. But I need to tell you something. 
You can't set boundaries without priorities. And one of the things that troubles me about Americans that I meet today, I meet a lot of Americans who aren't drawing the boundary lines according to their own priorities. I talk to people and say, what's your priorities in life? Well, God comes first and then my family and then my career. But that's not how they're drawing the boundary lines. They're drawing the boundary lines like career come first. So when you're thinking about how you're drawing the boundary lines, just make sure they're really your priorities. And then most of all, you need a vision for life. So you need a vision to have priorities, and you need priorities to draw boundaries. And that all comes back to saying, God, what am I here for? What do you want me to do? What should be important to me? And then you take that answer, and you firm up your priorities, and you take your priorities, and you take your marker, and you look at your time and your money and your energy and your focus and your health, and you draw some boundary lines. Because after all, it was the founder of Simple Math who gave you division to help you manage, organize, and make life functional. Let's pray. Father God, I come to you today thanking you for privilege of talking about this. And Lord, it's an unusual sermon, but you're a God who loves us and you want the very best for us. And so I pray in the name of Jesus that you will help each one of us to be thankful for what you've committed to our care, but to use our money and our time and our energy so that we won't get to the end of our life and wonder what in the world did we live for. Help us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Before you leave today, could I talk to you for just one more moment? Thanks for being at New Spring today. Today you've heard a talk about boundaries and organizing your life, and maybe you felt something like me. You thought, I'm going to go home, and i got some stuff to work on. You know that feeling of, wow, I'm not getting the job done. I'm not doing this right. That's a, a feeling of imperfection. And there's a word in the Bible, and it's called sin. And sin means this. It means that all of us in our life, we have decisions of right and wrong. And, and time and time again, when we're left to ourselves, we make decisions to do the wrong thing. And the Bible says that sin is the very thing that separates us from God. And the most important decision you and I can ever make in our life is a decision about what we believe to be true about who God is. And see, one day when we die and we leave this earth and we go into the life to come, the Bible tells us there's two eternal destinations. There's a place called heaven and there's a place called hell. And you might be here and you might be considering what does it mean to be a, a Christ follower, a believer in Jesus. It really just means this. It means to say, I know I'm a sinner. I know that when I'm left to myself, I do the wrong thing. I make the wrong choice. But see, God made a way that you and I, we can have a relationship with him. And as you think about heaven and you think about hell, you're probably familiar with those two places. Maybe you think, what does it take to go to heaven? What does it take to have a relationship with God? And it's so simple. The Bible says that you and I, if we call on the name of Jesus, that we'll be saved. And that word saved means this. It means we'll be rescued from all of our sin, all of our imperfection. God will forgive. And maybe you're here today and you just say, you know what, Mike, I've never made that decision and I want to have a relationship with God. I'm going to say a real simple prayer right now, and there's no magic potion to this. It's not a spell or anything like that. It's just a chance for you silently in your own words and in your heart to say yes to God. So would you pray with me right now? If that's you, just say this prayer silently to God with me. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner, but I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die for my sin, and I ask for your forgiveness. God, I accept your free gift of eternal life in heaven. In Jesus' name.
Amen. If you said that prayer today, we're super excited for you. Maybe you made it fast or you're not sure exactly what it means. We have a little gift we'd like to give you today. It's just a little packlet that Pastor Mark, he wrote a booklet and there's a DVD in there just explaining more. We'd like to give this to you. We won't harass you or ask you a million questions. When you leave today, you can fill out the talk to us card that's in the seat back in front of you. There's a guest services right out here in this lobby and also one in the back. Next week, we finish up Simple Math with week five. We'd love to welcome you back. Thanks so much for being here today.